have to understand in the 90s, anybody that was doing internet marketing was either directly learning it from me or one step removed from me. I know that sounds boasting and I'm not boasting. It's just, it's just the way it is. All right, welcome to another interview at the Deals Today podcast. And I am your host, Paul at realestateaudios.com. And today I've got a very special guest. I mean, all my guests are special, but this one, I wanna say he's never appeared in a real estate investing podcast. So this is the first and he'll probably be the last, but he's got a lot to say for the real estate investor because he is accredited the name, the father of internet marketing. And this isn't just hyperbole. This isn't just exaggeration. Look it up. Time Magazine gave him that title and for good reason, because back in the 90s, and he's going to tell you the whole story, back in the 90s, when the internet first came out, he was one of the only ones that foresaw the internet being a channel for marketing and for commercialization, for doing business. He was one of the only ones that saw it as a direct response medium. So he set the road for doing that. So all these people today that are, you know, they're funnel builders, they're marketers online, they're gurus, they have websites generating leads, et cetera, et cetera. They can thank Ken for setting the road, for putting together seminars, teaching people, and and growing the platform, the internet, as a direct response medium. So we talk a lot about about that, but we also talk about real estate investing because he has been around a lot of real estate investors. Pre-internet, he helped a lot of mortgagers in marketing, specifically direct mail. He had a company, and it was kind of a fish in a barrel type of industry for him because he was the only one doing it. He was out helping mortgagers set up their front end marketing to grow their business because he is a direct response guy, direct response marketing guy. And we talk about how his friendship with Jack Miller, how he was a student of Jack Miller. If you don't know who Jack Miller is, he's an old school godfather of creative finance and real estate. And uh, he went out with Jack Miller and he, he talks about some of his lifestyle, some of the things that uh, they did together, especially door knocking together. So anyway, this is a great interview. I loved it and I hope you do too. And of course, if you're not on my newsletter, go on to realestateaudios.com. All right, let's get to the interview. Why don't we talk about your story? Why why were you named the father of internet marketing by Time Magazine? Well, because I am. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, the year was 1993 and, and my wife was nominated for the Julia Child Cookbook Award for a book that I helped her write. And uh, it was a public vote. So the more votes you could get, the better chance you'd win. And I really wanted her to win. So I contacted every person in the universe that I knew saying, vote for Bettina. And the one guy I couldn't find, a friend said, oh, here's his internet address. Here's his email address. I didn't know what email was in 1993. I said, what the hell's that? So I had to call a friend and I said, hey, can you send an email message to this guy to tell him to contact me, right? So I did that. And it turned out that he had, instead of living in Florida, where I thought he was, he was literally living just five blocks from me in San Francisco, just weird coincidence. So we met and then he tutored me on the internet. He was actually one of the first people on the internet at Princeton. I think he had account number 52 or something. I mean, he was like early. He so he's like, oh yeah, this is the greatest thing. And uh, he told me to get a magazine called Board Watch, which I got. And then Board Watch was having a conference 
And I thought, what the hell? I'll go to this conference in Colorado and see what all this is about. Because you know, I was a direct mail guy. In fact, I had a business teaching mortgage investors. That was my business. We could talk about that later. So I went to this conference and the timing was just perfect. And I met everybody and none of them knew anything about direct response. None of them knew anything about business, really. All they were were tech guys that set up these bulletin boards. But I saw, I'm like, are you kidding me? All th- thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all over America are dialing into these online systems to chat with each other and download photos and play games. And that's incredible. And, and this technology was terrible. Like you had to have a phone line and a modem. The modems were slow. And I thought, you know what? If hundreds of thousands of people are doing this now, when this gets faster, everybody's going to do it. And this is going to be the direct response channel of the universe. Was there anybody else? Dude, I'm telling you, nobody, nobody saw this coming. The people that were doing the online stuff, they were just techno, hobby, geeky kind of guys. I mean, there probably were people doing little things, you know, but nobody was like going all in on it, right? And then the direct response people were not interested at all. They like, what are you talking about? The software industry people, so people in the software industry didn't get it. People in what was called the multimedia industry, and those were people that were making like interactive stuff before the CD-ROM came along. And there was a whole industry of that in San Francisco where I lived. They didn't get it. I mean, it was just people, for whatever reason, they weren't seeing it. Anyway. What about those tech giants, uh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates? <laughs> what were they saying about this? <laughs> Gates was saying that it was bullshit. G- Gates had a big problem because he was all in with Windows 95, right? And developing it, which was a multi-year process. And this was going to take all the thunder away from the Windows 95 launch. I mean, this was bad, bad news for him. So he was bad-mouthing the internet. Steve Jobs was not into the internet at all. He said it was bullshit. Uh, there was a meeting, Larry Ellison, who runs uh, Oracle, which is a huge database company, big, big tech guy. You know, He was at a meeting of his top people to discuss the internet and his girlfriend showed up or one of his girlfriends and she was in a hurry to get going somewhere. So he just booked out of the meeting. He didn't even stay for the meeting. So these guys were not interested in the internet at all. It was just a, a yeah, it was just, it was weird. So that's why in 94, I was able to organize the first conference on the commercial potential of the World Wide Web in, in the whole world. And I did it in San Francisco. And the reason I was able to do it was nobody else was interested in doing it. So what I did was I called all the advertising people I knew and all the tech people I knew, all the multimedia people I knew, some of the fledgling internet people that I knew. And I said, let's all get together and have a conference. And I'll never forget, I went to this one guy, one group was really into it. One multimedia developing group organization was really into it. But the other guy was like, what? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. I'm not going to get behind this. Like, okay. You know, I mean, I didn't know. I was like, hey, I'm just trying something out. Did you have any doubts? Did you have any doubts about this ever working at that when you're going through? I mean, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, my greatest expectation was that 10% of the world would get online and that would be a niche market that if you mastered it, you could make some money from it. Mark Andreessen, who's the guy that invented the web browsers, the co-founder of Netscape, kind of launched this whole thing. Uh, He was a speaker at the event. And we were shocked because this was the the same week we put it on was November. I I actually have the poster right here in my office, November 5th, 1994. That was the same week the first billboard with a URL on it went up on uh, Route 101 in Silicon Valley, right? And uh, we were shocked. 
that's where it was at at the time. We were just amazed, like, wow, somebody bought a whole billboard and put a web address on it. And I'll never forget him joking to the audience. He goes, they're taking it seriously. And like, it kind of made sense, but that doesn't, you know, not everything that makes sense happens, right? So there was no way to predict that it was going to happen on the scale and level that it did, but it kind of looked like, well, yeah, graphical interface, point and click, why not, you know? Mark, the, uh, and I, I, I'm not going to pronounce his last name because I'll butcher it. Andreessen. Andreessen. And I hear you, I hear you mention him quite often. Uh, where's he, what's he doing today? Where's he at? He started a, a big um, tech fund with a partner. Did he have any idea it would blow up in this proportion worldwide? No, really. I mean, you have to understand. So they, this thing was the web. So the internet has been around, had already been around for many years. And it was pretty much just an academic military thing. That's why my friend, he was he was an academician. He was at Princeton. So that's, you know, he had an internet account, you know. So it wasn't until the web was created, the World Wide Web, which was graphical point and click interface. And Mark Andreessen did that. So he did it in 93. He came to Silicon Valley in, in the early winter of 94. Nobody hired him. He got some, you know, third-rate job as a junior engineer, you know, it was like it wasn't a, no one ruled out a red carpet for him. That's where we were in, in January of 94. So when the when we put this event on in, in November, things were starting to move, you know, there were, you know, people were talking about it. There was a little bit of a buzz, but no, nobody knew. In fact, he and Jim Clark, who had founded Silicon Graphics, they were going around to you know all the big companies, all the big publishers, all the big movie studios, and they could barely get a meeting with these guys. They're like, yeah, I don't know, we don't get it, I don't understand. You know, NBC, CBS, 20th Century Fox, Reuters, you know, you name it. People were yeah. like, yeah, well, we'll take a meeting with you, but I don't really know where this is going, buddy. That was what it was like in '94. Wow, I mean, who would have known? <laughs> That's great. So moving into this into into real estate at this time, you you knew Jack Miller, right? And you were a student of his at, at, right, right around this time because he was teaching at that time, I believe. When did I know Jack Miller? Um, it would have been the '90s for sure. He was a legend. Yeah, he he still is today. People, his name is still brought up. So, what's your experience with him and 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 what you learned from him? Did you apply that into into real estate? Did you teach that into real estate? You know, I didn't meet him until after. I got out of real estate. I had a business called Marketing Solutions for Mortgage Investors. And basically, I was the guy. If you wanted to deal in paper, you know, there were a lot of people teaching paper. You know, it, it, we're in a different situation now because interest rates used to be sky high. So if you wanted to sell your property, very often you had to take paper back. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, what do I do with this paper? And so there was a secondary market for it. So there was a lot of money to be made buying and reselling paper, a lot of money. Yeah, my audience is familiar with with it. I, I mean, I do it. My, I'm primarily a paper investor, uh, so. Oh, you are. Well, sort of. Yeah, yeah. So um, I create notes. So I, I buy land or buy mobile homes. I haven't done mobile homes in a while, but I'll buy land and I'll uh, resell it on paper. Oh, of course, of course. Land yeah. would be would be natural for that. It's not so easy to finance. Exactly. Same with mobile homes too. So that's what I would do. So have you experimented with that? Have you, I mean, let me go back to that. Let me, why was paper investing so popular when interest rates were high? How high were those interest rates? Oh my God. Yeah, mortgage rates were 10% in 90, I believe, yeah. somewhere around there. Well, what was happening was really interesting. Every time the interest rates came down a point, suddenly it made sense for people to refinance. 
So that was one of the other things we did too, is we taught mortgage brokers how to, how to access public data. If you knew when a mortgage was originated, you could guess what the rate was. And then when the rate came down, you know, another point or another two points, it made sense to do direct mail, targeted direct mail, because you know, you make a couple of thousand dollars on, on a refi. And so there were a lot of people doing that. And then there was also a mix of people that were buying and selling paper. And the big challenge, of course, for people that are dealing in paper is finding the deals. You got to automate that to the extent you can. And, you know, it's kind of a classic direct response. You lead generation and then you follow up and, you know, how do you automate all that? How do you do it super efficiently? So I was a really good direct mail person before and I saw this niche and I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting and nobody else is in it. And uh, I was the guy for a couple of years, marketing solutions for mortgage investors. Was this pre-internet? Oh, pre-internet for sure. So you didn't incorporate internet into this, um, but if you did, how would you have had the mortgage uh, solution for, I'm sorry, marketing solutions for mortgagers, how would you incorporate internet into this? I had that kind of a business today, you know, pretty much simple blocking and tackling like in football. I'd make sure I have a website, make sure I have a really good offer, an interesting offer, you know, not just sign up for my list. You know, you got to, you got to entice people with something great, relentless, relentless, meaningful follow-up, useful follow-up coming up with new offers all the time. I was already doing podcasts, uh, they weren't called that. They were called teleseminars, <laughs> teleseminars, live events. You know, I'd have as big a mix of media as I possibly could. Direct mail, of course. So, what were you doing for the for these mortgagers, these lenders back then? What were some of the the steps you were taking to implement some marketing for them? Well, it was kind. Of, it was really kind of neat because there, it was a very tight marketplace. Like there were only about four or five educators in the field, right? So I didn't get in with all of them, but I got in with a bunch of them and I became their marketing guy. And so for instance, I wrote a, a monthly column for Noteworthy, which was a paper newsletter that came out. And um, at the end of every article, I'd say, if you want to know more, for if you want a free report on 10 ways, I forget what I did, but it was like 10 ways to get more notes, write me. They'd write me. Well, now I have their address. And every time I had a new seminar and I, and I did a lot of content, I probably did two or three seminars a year. I would just, you know, this was pre-internet. There was no internet. There was no, nobody was online at all. So the only way I could reach them was direct mail, but it was very targeted. I'm a good copywriter. I'm definitely better than average. And, and so my copy was incredible. I mean, I, in fact, I made several careers in that space in that note making space by the um, copy that I wrote for people, like people that were just totally unknown, had no edge, no positioning, nothing. And I wrote a sales letter and all of a sudden they became famous because the story was so good. So the copywriting was really important. Yeah. Is, is copywriting important today for, because the, the industry today is a lot different. I don't know if back then there were wholesalers or not. Today, it's a very well-known industry going out, finding motivated sellers off market, marketing to them. Does copywriting play a big role in, into all that? It could. You know, if you're trying to convince people to sell to you and not go to a broker, and there's a whole letter in that explaining, you know, and, and people don't know, but you say, well, you know, we'll sell it fast. You won't have strangers coming in and out of your house. You know, someone has to be persuaded. And then when you lay it out for them, they're like, oh yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do it with this guy. Cause he's the guy that, and then, and then 
how do you present your credibility? Like, are you a safe person to deal with? Are you a credible person to deal with? Are you a reliable person to deal with? All these things can be conveyed on paper or, or on a computer screen. And that's copywriting. You know, copywriting doesn't need to be like super formal and like, right. you know, a 64 page sales letter, but it's more of a way of thinking. It's like, okay, this guy's a stranger to me. How do I position and package and tell a story so that he says, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to more or yeah, I'll sign the deal and, and go ahead with them. Going back to your real estate experiences, you said you had some, you had some, te- not just teaching mortgage lenders or were you also teaching real estate investors as well? My focus in that business was mortgage lenders exclusively. However, I'm trying to re- remember all this stuff. I got invited to speak at a bunch of real estate events because, you know, it's a mix. It's, it's, you know, it's like, oh, well, we got, we, we got a guy speaking on flipping. We got a guy speaking on wholesaling. We got a guy speaking on being a landlord. We have a guy speaking on paper. Hey, let's have a guy speaking on how to find notes. So I got in and I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember how I even got invited to half of these things. I just don't know. I, I, I was on the scene and people needed content and I was accessible. So I remember going to this one event where to me, there's two there's two worlds of internet of, of uh, real estate investing. There's what I call the the serious people, like the people that went to Jack Miller. These were serious people. Like there were no dreamers. There. I mean, there might have been some dreamers went in the door once, but it, it was it was people that were rolling up their sleeves and really doing it. You know, some of them might have been new. So I'm not talking about someone being inexperienced, but they were all serious. But then you have this whole other world of real estate investing, like, I don't know, the Tommy Vu. I don't remember that guy from, no. well, that's, that's ancient stuff, <laughs> but that's just pure showbiz, pure carnival. People show up that shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever entice uh, Jack Miller to get on the internet or was, was he like way before then never touched that thing? A woman that I taught internet to named Jackie Lang inherited, seemingly somehow inherited Jack Miller's business. And I think I'm pretty sure she put his stuff on the internet. It he is. was, by the way, I'm the guy behind that. Really? I, I taught Jackie Lang internet marketing. I taught everybody. You have to understand in the nineties, anybody that was doing internet marketing was either directly learning it from me or one step removed from me. I know that sounds boasting and I'm not boasting. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's like Columbus discovered America, right? Well, he, it was already there and his first, was the first ship that got there. You know, it's just, it's just the way it happened. It's not like, but so that was kind of the same thing with me. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I love it. You know what? What you you're really good at forecasting. I mean, you you forecast the internet, and you you you're always forecasting some things in your on your audios in the system club. What's going on today? It's uh, November. <laughs> What's gonna? What do you? <laughs> if people could see me, I've got my head in my hands, and um, if I start on this, I may never stop. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep myself under constraints here. I'm just going to say for anybody that's worried about the biology of this thing, this thing's bullshit on steroids. This is like a cold. It's like the flu. And the re- the thing is, people that have poor health can die of a cold. They can die of a flu. They can die of a fall. They can die of a one case of mild food poisoning. It doesn't take much to knock somebody over who's already very sick. So the people behind this scam basically just superimpose the story over our everyday normal reality. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people have bought it. So the good news is you don't have to worry about dying of catching this thing and dying of it. Now, if you have a very frail member of your family, you have to worry about everything related to that person's health, the flu, a cold, you know, so biology, you don't have to worry. This is not the black plague. This is not the, you know, the, the end of the universe. Okay. So that's one thing. 
clearly some trends that are going to continue or people are going to be more familiar doing business this way, you know, via Zoom, via, you know, so get with it. Like you may be able to close deals. And in fact, I'll tell you something really interesting, kind of related, you know, because you're a system club member. I'm always fascinated by Latin America and Spanish language because there's more people speaking Spanish in our hemispheres on our half of the world than speak English. And they are developing economically. They're making more money. They're getting more prosperous. And this is going to be a major market. I mean, it already is a significant market someday. Anyway, here's where I'm going on this sidebar. Down in Latin America, people are going straight from the website to a WhatsApp conversation with the salesman. When I first heard this, this sounded crazy to me. But you know what? That's how they like to do things down there. They're very comfortable with WhatsApp. In fact, the very first time I ever heard of WhatsApp was from somebody in Mexico. So here's my point is, there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity, even more opportunity for virtual selling, you know, for making these kind of contacts with people through WhatsApp or through whatever crazy thing they come up next. We've got to get with that and take advantage of that and and use it. Is there going to be a hurdle that I can see a lot of um, operators say already is the objection that you have to be face to face to make a big deal like this happen? Uh, In your experience, is that true? Do you see big deals happening virtually? I mean, we already know that's not true. I mean, that may be in the old days, but I mean, I mean, I live in, in Hudson Valley area of New York, so I'm 100 miles north of New York City. And New York, New York City is a disaster zone right now. I mean, people are losing their minds down there and everybody with money is leaving. And as a friend of mine said, after 9-11, they cantered up here. You know, that's like the slow movement of a horse. Now they're galloping and people are buying houses they haven't even seen. They don't even do an inspection. I mean, now that that's not always going to be the case. People are going to calm down and things are going to get more normal. But I mean, there's a lot of property being closed where nobody's in the closing room, right? I mean, yeah. they, people are scared. They're afraid, you know, they don't want to yeah. go. Yeah. So I think this kind of thing, even though it, it seems so r- radical, uh, is going to become more and more common. And this, this event definitely pushed things, pushed things forward. Then uh, it'd be even easier to uh, build rapport over the phone rather than face-to-face, do everything over the phone. Nobody has to do anything. I mean, I've heard of wholesalers today, they do virtual tours, meaning the seller will have their phone out and they're doing a, like a Skype call or a fa- you know FaceTime and doing an inspection over the phone like that. It's shocking to imagine that, but here we are. I just bought a house. I'm, I'm not a big real estate investor, but I just bought a house I haven't, I haven't been on the inside of. I sent somebody I trusted to look. I sent a contractor. I'm like, is there any mold? No. Are the floors even? Is there a roof? Is there a hole in the le- roof? No. Okay. Let's buy it. Price is right. Yeah. I like the location. Let's get it. So, uh, and, and by the way, I think I'm pretty sure even Jack Miller back in the day was buying stuff that he'd never seen because because there was trust. I mean, I, and, I, and I had trust. I mean, I can actually visually see this house, by the way. It's not far from my house. Like, so it's not like, but I think he would buy stuff on the other side of the planet, not the planet, but the, but the U S that he'd never seen because he knew the dealer, he knew the deal, it it worked and they just did it. So I think this is going to become more and more common. I knew another guy whose name I won't mention, uh, (laughs) who was smart in some ways. And he had a thing was any day I don't have to get in a car is a good day. So he was always trying to organize stuff so that he just could do everything from home. What happened to your mortgage business, the, the solutions to mortgage mortgagers? I was in this situation where I was running that business and it was full time, you know, to, to keep it running. And then 
I'd have dinner and then I'd run my internet business from like eight o'clock till two in the morning. And uh, I did that for years, by the way. The internet did not take off for me right away. That took years. The, the, the marketing for mortgage investors, I think six months to a year and I was deep in the black and it was a cash cow. Internet, not so, not so fast. So when I finally got to the point where the internet was making me about as much money as the mortgage stuff, I just, I just dropped the mortgage stuff. I like open-ended, blue sky, ever-growing, diverse, multi-dimensional stuff. And like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, and I'm not very good at like doing the same thing over and over again, even when it makes money, you know, like that's a deficiency I have, I'll be honest with you. And thank God the internet came along for me. So even though the thing was making money, I was just getting bored with it. So once the internet was starting to work for me, I dropped it. I dropped yeah. the, the mortgage. I just let the, the business go. Were you kind of a, a one-man show with that? Did you have employees? Yeah, I had, I had, a, I had a part-time assistant. I'm going to tell you this. You know, I have this thing called the System Seminar. I had it from 94. Well, I, I named it that in 2002, but I did big events from 94 to 2011. We called it the System Seminar in, in 2002. We branded it. I'd have four, 500 people, you know, in a room, another city. It was never more than me and a part, a serious part-time person. We never had a staff of thousands. And, you know, like for the event, we'd hire Kelly girls, you know, to, to help with registration. And sometimes we'd trade with attendees, you know, hey, we'll let you come for half price if you help out with the signups and stuff. Yeah. But no, it was always just me. I'll tell you, one of the greatest internet, one of the greatest, excuse me, direct marketers of all time, Eugene Schwartz, who people maybe know of, he wrote the book um, Breakthrough Advertising. He had a massive book about business selling books via direct mail. It was just him and his assistant. He stole millions and millions of dollars worth of books. And everything else was a contractor. Even another guy, not so famous, but should be well-known, named Dick Benson, wrote a book called The Secrets of Direct Mail. It was also published by Boardroom. He had a massive business. I think he had the biggest newsletter, print newsletter going, just him and his daughter. Yeah, multi-million, so, do- multi-million dollar business, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the point being is you don't need a lot of moving parts. For you. you don't need a lot of people behind all these cogs turning the, the gears. I mean, it's just, it's you and maybe a few contractors. Yeah, and, and knowing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> knowing what you're doing really helps. And yeah, the contractors can make all the difference. And, you know, the fact is we're all really doing that. Like I don't, I didn't build my own server. Like I didn't make, I didn't fabricate the, the chips, you know, and I didn't, I don't run the pipe to where, you know, there's, I'm, we're all, whether we know it or not, we're dealing with lots and lots of, of, of uh, vendors. And, and I think sometimes people like to form little empires and have lots of people b- bustling around. It's hard to make money that way Yeah. yeah. when you had a lot of mouths to feed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, Ken, I appreciate you being on here. Uh, you know, I highly recommend people learn more about you because you're still you're still active. I mean, we still hear your audios every month. So uh, every week, every week, yes, every week, yeah, yeah. And there's, I mean, you have an archive of stuff. I I'm still going through. <laughs> I haven't gone through. You'll never, all. you'll never get to the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah take so, your whole life. Yeah. So how can people find you and uh, and reach out to you? The best thing I recommend is go to kenmccarthy.com, M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y.com. And I have a lot of stuff about <laughs> the current pandemic there right now. So if you want to really read some wild stuff, you can read that. However, if you want to focus on making money, which is what this is really about, I strongly recommend my book, which is called uh, the, System, the System Club Letters book. 
And that is a collection of the best advice I've ever given, all in bite-sized chunks. Like each each article is like 500 words, so you can read it, you know, on the fly. Grab a chapter, read it. And I got a really great compliment from a guy named Ben Settle, who's a really good copywriter and also runs a seven-figure, you know, one-person business. And he tells me, and I have to believe him. I don't think he's shining me on. He says it's the best business book he's ever written. I've re- ever read. So I don't know that it's the best business book ever written, but I think it's good. I think it's a good book. And it's, you know, you can just get it. It's a physical thing. Um, do I have a copy of it handy? No. But, you know, I would, I would get that book and I will indoctrinate you in my way of thinking. I read it and I, and I concur. I read it at least once a year. I have the ebook version. I have it on my shelf as well. And I read it at least once a year. So I concur on that, on what Ben Settle said. He does. He mentions it all the time. All right, Ken, I appreciate you being on here. I had a great time with it. Hope my listeners did as well. They, you know, This is big box thinking. This isn't just a lot of wholesalers looking for tactical, little minute things, but but this is big box thinking. You know, This is all, what I learned from you is from industry to industry, the principles say the same. Business, marketing, sales, they all say the same. So, And let me say, one, if I could say one last thing, yeah. and I wish I could remember which guy this was. It might've been Kobe Bryant. It was one of these basketball players. And this dude, even when he was already all-star MVP, he was still showing up for practice at 4 a.m. so he could practice the fundamentals before the regular workout. And so fundamental, it's so easy to overlook the importance of simple fundamentals. And I'm telling you, the older I get and the more experience I have in life, the more I realize, do everything you can to discover what the fundamentals of your business are, and then just drill down and get better and better and better at them. It will really pay off. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate all the info. Really do. Thanks for being on here, Ken. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Likewise. All right. That's another episode in the can. And stay tuned for the next one and my marketing tidbits every single week on the Deals Today podcast. Make sure you subscribe, you rate it, you review it, and you share it, please. It keeps me going with this. It gets more guests on the show. And if you haven't, if you're not on my email list, go to realestateaudios.com, subscribe there to get onto my daily newsletter where I give daily mindset, business, marketing, copywriting tips, all for real estate investors right there and any special gifts I'm giving away. Go on to realestateaudios.com. Mm-hmm.